0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 467, titled, If the World Doesn't End, Won't You Feel Stupid? And answered with, No, I won't. And uh, what we're going to talk about today with that is kind of this perception that we in the survivalist, prepper, modern survivalist, however you want to call yourself, movement, uh, are preparing only for the end times, the end of the world, the rise of the New World Order, and the flying black helicopters that will come kill us all. We're not. That's not who we are. We are people that are here preparing for life on an ongoing basis. We understand that there are big threats. There's big threats out there like, a global pandemic, a real threat that any uh, medical researcher with any semblance of sanity would tell you is a legitimate threat. Well, there's other really big threats out there. Anybody that looks at the United States economy right now doesn't believe that at some point it could fall into oblivion due to the ignorance that our own government has over monetary policy. When I say ignorance, I mean the Congress who just keeps spending the money that they don't have. There, there's all types of really big events that could occur, but even if none of them happen in our lifetimes, we know that what we're doing makes sense, that it matters, and it actually improves our lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. It is Thursday, July 1st, 2010. That means we are at the first day of a new month, as I mentioned yesterday. And uh, with that first day, let's kick off the show with our housekeeping and take care of our sponsors because they do a lot to help take care of you. And remember, we have a listener appreciation contest coming up uh, as well in just a second. First, though, our sponsor, sponsor of the day, number one, the Berkey guy with Berkey Light Water Filtration Systems. Water is something you need, and it's something you cannot do without. And clean water you can drink is something you need. And I also will tell you this. I don't feel safe drinking the water that comes out of my sink the way that it comes out of my sink. And I don't do it. Um, I have a big problem with the fact that our government fluoridates water. And I know some people think that's tinfoil habit. I'll tell you what, you get a, can- a, a box of rat poison, and you look at the ingredients, and you'll see one, sodium fluoride. Go get a tube of toothpaste, look on the back of it, and see what it says to do if somebody were to eat more than, let's say, a teaspoon of toothpaste. It says, call poison control immediately. Fluoride is a toxin, and I don't need it ingested in my body through my water, and there's other chemicals in our water that I prefer not to drink. Berkey Light Water Filter Systems won't just make water that's kind of nasty safe to drink. It'll make the water that we're told is safe to drink, safe to drink as well. So check out the Berkey guy. Next up today, MERS-Radio.com. Yes, M-U-R-S-Radio.com. And remember, the best way to find all these sponsors is to go to the SurvivalPodcast.com and click on their banners on our website. But MERS Radio is one of the coolest technologies I've ever come by. It's something I've really been happy to add to my household. Um, it is a secondary line of communications. It does have more privacy than, let's say, the family radio frequencies, uh, the stuff that you would you buy at a sporting goods store or something like that. It is open, it is no license required, it is not going to do anything close to what a ham radio is going to do for you, uh, at least not in the unlicensed version where you're using the proper amount of broadcasting wattage, etc. But what it will do is give you a secondary communications around your property or anywhere you go, let's say you're hunting or fishing or somewhere like that, range up to about a mile or a little bit more depending on the terrain, and combine that with home security. I have motion detectors set up on different parts of my property, and if anything moves in those areas, it sends a warning back to our base station and to our handhelds. It'll say something like, Alert Sector 1 or Alert Sector 2. And what that lets me know is that something's going on there, whether it's somebody prowling around my front door at night, which actually happened once, and uh, was kind of a good thing to have. And, uh, or just my dogs trying to escape through the one place they think they can get through in the backyard. Either way, I'm alerted and I can take action. So, that's why I love MERS, because it's communications and security together. Uh, next up, let's go ahead and do our contest. I have a contest for you today. Uh, I put out information about it yesterday. Hopefully, you saw that information. If you did, you're one step ahead of the competition. This is how this is going to work. I'm giving away seed packs today in the listener appreciation contest. Remember, to play, you must have registered and agreed to tell people about the show when you registered. There's a simple thing you do to register. It says listener contest on the, on the main website in the center column where all the pages are listed. You click on that. You fill out your name and your email address, and then you've registered. That's it. And I don't email that list hardly ever about anything. So it's not like you're going to get updates to the show if you don't want it or something like that. Um, it's just my way of making sure that you've made a pledge that you're going to, you're going to help share the show because this is for people that share the show. High Mowing Organic Seeds has donated 5 packets of seeds and these are big actually 10 cuz each user gets 2. One is a culinary herbs or you know kitchen herbs package with 5 different herb seeds and the other one has a whole group of heirloom vegetables. Did a video on that. I've had that video out for a few days trying to build this thing up. Today I'm going to give away 2 of those and on Friday tomorrow we're going to do this again and I'm going to give away 3. The way you play. I'm about to tell you how to get a code word. You'll get that word by going to highmowingseeds.com. That's High Mowing's website. Um, On their website, you will see um, a group of pages you can click on. One of them says about us at the top, and when you hover on it, it gives you a drop-down. The first option is history and philosophy. Click on that. In the very first sentence of the first paragraph, it tells you the year that High Mowing Seeds was founded. Send me those numbers that year. So if it was and it's not, if it was 1984, 1984, all right, and that's not the right answer, so don't send that. But just like that, just like a date, nothing else in an email subject line, send that to Jack at the Survival com. Jack at the dot com. The tenth response and the fortieth response win the seeds. So there you go. So two people win today, three people win tomorrow. I need the date and nothing, don't put code word, don't put contest. Just the date in the subject line, in the body of the email, your name and the email address you used when you registered so that I can verify that you are in the contest because if you're not in, you're out. You can only play once. I've had people try to cheat and send like email, email, email. This is not like radio. You just keep calling until you're caller number 10. right? You send it one time. And if you send me multiple emails, you get disqualified. So number 10 and number 40 will win. And this is about $47 in value uh, worth of seeds today. I also promised something else on the blog yesterday. I would do something because it's only two people today to make it um, where more people could win something. If you've been thinking about joining the MSB, today is the day to do that. I'm going to give out a code word. It will work for the first 10 people that use it, the first 10 people only. To honor our sponsor, uh, High Mowing Organic Seeds, the code word is SEEDS, S-E-E-D-S. Do not email me that. It won't help you if you email me. If you go to join the Members Brigade, you can go to thesurvivalpodcast.com, click on Members Support Brigade, and you use the Members Code SEEDS, S-E-E-D-S, all lowercase, you will get your first year of the Members Support Brigade for $30. And, um, you know, you can either renew at 50 every time the renewal comes up, or you can cancel and just take it for one year at 30 bucks. It's up to you, but that will only work for the first 10 people. If you try the code SEEDS and it doesn't work, that means that you didn't get there in one of the first 10. They'll go fast, faster than I thought they would the last time I did this. They were gone in, like, a couple hours. Anyway, so SEEDS is a discount code for the Member Support Brigade, not a code word for the other part of the contest. You can get the first year for thirty dollars. It works for the first ten and first ten only, and only on annual memberships. That's it. Housekeeping over. Went way too long. I'm sorry about that. Let's uh, rock on from there. I gotta find a quicker way to get through these contests, folks, for you. All right, let's talk about the main topic today. And I was kind of like freaking out there, you know, and it hopefully everybody understood. When I said, oh "The blargalligators are coming." I was just doing it to be funny, but there is that perception. Right, that, that survivalists are all these guys that are hiding in the woods and we're waiting for the end, and and we're all totally like freaked out, ultra religious people as well. Not people that are devout in our faith, whatever that faith may be, but we are the freakazoids, man. We're the people that you know we think the women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, and you know, or whatever the the persona de jour, the, the persona of the day for the media, happens to be, for the moment, that they want to crystallize and sterilize and, and make this is what survivalism is. And they want to ignore real people like you and I. And even among kind of you know level-headed people, that stigma is so deep that I get versions of if the world doesn't end, won't you feel stupid all the time. Recently, I talked to a guy. And here's what he pointed out to me to prove how right he was. He said, you know what? Uh, recently the government basically was going nuts and we are all going to die from swine flu and it turned out to be nothing in his words but a bunch of bullshit. Now, he's right and he's wrong. The, the bunch of bullshit was all the hype and all the hysteria and the World Health Organization blowing it out of proportion and then making a big deal about a flu that had a much lower lethality rate than most flus that we always have anyway. What we did see with swine flu which the masses have failed to comprehend is we saw a new flu strain originate and as soon as it originated it began to be transmitted and we saw it spread completely around the world in just a few months. Now the reason the reason that it wasn't a big deal is it was nothing out of the ordinary for the flu. It wasn't more lethal than the average flu. It wasn't more contagious than than the average flu, despite the fact that it was a new flu strain and we didn't have as much resistance to it. It really didn't behave any differently than a typical seasonal flu. But it was kind of a wake-up call if you're paying attention that the only thing that separated this thing from actually being a real pandemic was a more severe version of it. Had this flu been something with, let's say, instead of a, you know, a less than 1% death rate and really affecting people that already had compromised immune systems and things like that, had this flu been something with, oh, I don't know, 4%, 5% death rate? Relatively low? You know, very high for the flu, by the way. But relatively low. 4% of the people that got this flu died. Do you know how many people that would have killed? And if 4% are dying, that would have meant that maybe 15% required hospitalization or more. Do you know what that would have done to our medical systems? So, even when they point to something that was supposed to happen and didn't, even when that happens, um, we still see the potential for what could have happened. I just watched a... um, a little movie last night. My wife was watching some on TV. I didn't want, so I got the laptop out, pulled up Hulu, and started looking for interesting things in the genre. It was called Black Dawn. It was about the next flu pandemic. It was what would happen if avian flu ever mutated to where it could transmit easily from people uh, from person to person. And you know what they showed? They showed the same things that we talk about all the time: empty shelves of food, services shut down, power failures, uh, water failure. It's just not out of the realm that the extreme could happen. It just isn't. Now, what about the whole thing that, you know, if the world doesn't end, if it doesn't happen, we're going to feel dumb because we spend all this time, money, and resources on it. Well, let's start talking about the other myth, the big myth to me. The big myth to me isn't that survivalists aren't nuts, that survivalists aren't all crazies living out in the woods. Because I think... This show and this audience and all of the other great communities and forums and chat rooms and blogs and things like that have already really done a good job beating that myth down to anybody with open ears or eyes. Anybody that wants to know the truth now knows the truth about that. The other myth, the more sinister myth and the one that's that's kept alive by a media that doesn't want you to think for yourself. Because thinking for yourself has so many consequences beyond being prepared as far as the media is concerned, as far as your government's concerned, as far as the big, and I say big, I'm talking multi-billion dollar corporations. Are Thinking for yourself is a very bad thing for the powers that be. And one of the things they don't want you to think about is how to take care of yourself, because that way you remain dependent. And that's not paranoia, that's reality. If I m- manufacture a product for people, the best thing I can have is them dependent upon it. Because that guarantees me a certain amount of revenue every quarter from those dependent people. And then my marketing simply pushes that number higher. The minute I lose the dependence on my product, my revenue goes down. And that's a constant. It doesn't matter if it's an actual physical product being put out into the world uh, by a corporation that wants to sell you a piece of crap made in Hong Kong. Or if the product is a government program. The minute people become less dependent, the demand for the product declines and the amount of money they can make off, it goes down. So they don't want you to think for yourself. And that in our niche, our little world of survivalism, permeates itself in a a myth. This is a multi-headed myth. Wherever it goes, it, it morphs itself to keep that dependence alive. And in survivalism it comes out as the world must end for preparedness to pay off. In other words, all these survivalists, the only way they're ever going to be right is if we do have the crash pandemic, right? We do have the economic collapse. We do get hit by a meteor. The nuclear weapons do fly. Without that, these people are all freaking nuts, and they've wasted their lives. So if you want to go out and do all this stuff on the one-in-one-millionth chance that something this bad is going to happen where you're probably going to be dead anyway, right? then go ahead and do it. But if you just want to live your life and enjoy it, stay sane and don't be like these crazy people. In fact, there was a guy last night that was on this documentary. And this idiot was from France. He was a virus, uh, uh, what do you call it? A uh, uh, Not a virus, uh, the shot you get. Dang it, I hate when I do this to myself and can't remember a simple word. A vaccine researcher. Damn, why was that? Maybe they're sending beams through my foil hat. Who knows, guys, right? Anyway, a virus researcher. So this guy knows. And he was in France, which explains a lot. And he said, I haven't done anything to prepare my family for this event. You're an idiot. He says, well, what are you going to do? If, if your neighbors are starving, are you going to not feed them? If you have antiviral medication, are you just going to take it yourself and use it on yourself and your children while your neighbors die? And if they come to try to take what do you you have, what are you going to do? Grab your shotgun and defend your house? My answer was yes, yes, and yes. Of course I am. Now, will I help my neighbors? Every bit that I can without compromising my ability to keep my family alive. Every single bit. But it's going to come first to my family, and then it's going to go to my neighbors that I know that I have community with, and then if there's anything left over, it goes beyond that. So yes, 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 and yes, and yes. If I've been smart enough to store up some food and somebody comes to try to take it away, they will meet with a shotgun barrel well before they get to the front door. Yes. In a catastrophe, I will defend my home. And this guy apparently won't. And that's his choice, but he better not come to my door. You know, when he realizes that was a stupid idea. Now, to be fair, a lot of the other researchers on this show said, well, one of the things you can do is have a lot of canned goods, some good fresh water around, and uh, flashlights, batteries, you know, radio I mean these folks all but this one idiot from France everybody that actually worked in this field was like you should be prepared and most of them talked about how they were prepared again this was called Black Dawn and it is available to watch for free on the internet on Hulu alright moving on from there um, I, I also need to talk about something else today that's probably just as important and this is why when you try to talk to somebody they won't freaking listen to you they just won't They, 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 they you know it's like the water off the duck duck's back type thing. You sit there and you sit down with them and you say, look Tom or look Debbie or whoever this friend of yours is, you say there are real dangers out there we just saw what happened with an earthquake uh, in Haiti uh, we've seen what's happened with, in the past with LA and riots, we've seen the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina we've seen all of these things happen, we've seen what society does, and it just makes sense not to go out and build a bunker or an underground shelter, but to at least be basically prepared. And even if you want to do more than you're telling them, you're trying to get them into just a basic level of preparedness. Have a few jugs of water around, you know, have some extra food. Have a a family readiness plan. Where would you go? How would you get there? Who would you call? How would everybody meet back up if you got separated? I mean, the most basic stuff that's on, you know, ready.gov, the government's own way, even show them that. And what they say is, I don't have to worry about that. And you just want to take your head and find a great big brick wall and start smashing your face into the wall because you don't understand how anybody could be that you know um, resistant to something so basic. It is the it won't happen to me self-defense that human beings use psychologically so that we don't feel vulnerable. It's the same reason the guy won't go get uh, screened for cancer. The lady won't go get a mammogram. Because it won't happen to me. It doesn't matter if everybody around them has been afflicted by something. It's not going to happen to me. It's the reason the guy that's 62 years old, that weighs 320 pounds, that knows he should drop his weight back, won't do it. And he won't get up and walk once a day. Because I'm not going to have a heart attack. That'll be somebody else. And I could go on... And on and on until I find, eventually, would be like, this guy's psychic because you'd know somebody that's exactly what I'm talking about. If I haven't gotten there yet, trust me, you put that person in there yourself. That's why they won't do it. That's why we, and why do we do this? We do this because we hate to feel vulnerable. There's two things that human beings really hate, feeling vulnerable and feeling trapped. I can take any person and put them into a house, very nice house, a house they don't want to leave for the next eight hours. Give them a remote control to the TV set, right? Fully stocked refrigerator, fully stocked bar, stereo system, video games, computer. Everything they could possibly need. They're happy and I go, you're going to be here until 5 o'clock tonight. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. And when I walk out, if they hear, and like a prison, the house locks down and they can't open a window, they can't open a door, they won't watch TV, they won't play around on the computer, they'll spend the next eight hours trying to figure out how to get out of the house. Because they don't like to feel confined. The other thing they don't like to feel is vulnerable. This is a good thing when it's used properly. That vulnerability sense is almost like a sixth sense. And it's when you're walking into this area and the hackles on your neck go up. And you say to yourself, this is wrong. And your situational awareness makes you spin a 180 and you extract yourself from it because there was a danger there. That's the reason for it. But then, because we don't control it because we've lost touch with that reality. Because we don't walk around in the forest anymore. Now we walk in the jungle that is the city. And we have we don't have elders teaching us to use that sense anymore. It permeates all parts of our life. And as soon as something starts to point out a vulnerability, we extract ourselves from it by denying it. By sticking our head in the sand. That's why people do these things. That's why they won't listen. That's why you can only do so much to try to help people become aware You know, say, hey, check out this nut job on the Survival Podcast. Hey, check this website out. Hey, did you see this? And that's all you can do. And you have to let people come to the conclusion on their own. Because once they're in that withdrawal mode, the harder you push, the more they'll pull away. Now, let's get into like the individual things that we do as survivalists and how they impact your life. First and foremost, I have to talk about debt today again. I know I talk about debt a lot. I know some of you are sick of it. Some of you think, this guy is like Dave Ramsey Jr. or something. Well, Dave and I agree on a lot and we disagree on a lot. And uh, when it comes to debt elimination, his word is na- his name is now synonymous with that. That's his brand is debt elimination. But if I had never heard of Dave Ramsey, if I had never seen Dave Ramsey, if the man did not exist to me, I would feel the exact same way about debt because I got my ass out of debt before I knew who he was. And, you know, you you use the basic common sense thing with debt. Pay the smallest debt first. And you keep going forward from there. I know that that's supposed to be some revolutionary program that this guy came up with, but it's not. It's just a program he marketed really well. It's the most logical thing you can do. But I don't want to talk about how to get out of that today. I want to talk about why, if you're going to be a modern survivalist, debt elimination has to be part of your plan. First of all, without it, all the naysayers could be right about you. Because what will happen, if you stay in debt, then when you want something, you whip out MasterCard. So you decide one day, because you're thinking about all the survivalism, that, hey, uh, crap. Uh, this thing's starting to look really bad, whatever it is, whether it was a swine flu, whether it's a, an economic collapse, no matter what it is, you hear somebody, you stand for them, so eventually one day, you're like, oh, shit, and all of a sudden, that MasterCard comes out, and next thing you know, a pallet full of Mountain House food shows up with a forklift and drops it off in your front yard. And because you don't even know what's in there, it was just the best special you could find at the time. You stick that in the garage or the basement, and ten years later, it's still there. It's never been opened. And even with a long-term storage item, you're looking now at maybe giving it goodwill, and you feel kind of stupid. And you still owe money on it. That's what happens when debt elimination is not part of what you're doing. Because debt elimination is part of what we're doing, the complete opposite occurs. Very slowly over time, you build up a reserve. Every time you go to the grocery store, you buy a few extra cans of food. All right? Every time you use a can of food, when you replace it, you do copy canning like Ron and Karen Hood talk about. Instead of buying one more, you buy two more. You do that, in over six months to a year, you have a good supply of extra food in your house. You don't even notice the, the cash outflow. In fact, you're probably eliminating debt at the same time you're starting to build up surplus cash. Once you eliminate debt, and the outflow stops. You realize the power of your income. That's modern survivalism. Modern survivalism isn't just what do we do if life gets shitty. It's how we keep our lives from getting shitty in the first place. In other words, part of a survival plan when it comes to building a home and making sure the home's going to survive is not just making sure that there's ways to get out if there's a fire but to mitigate the spread of fire in the house, to prevent fire from happening, and if we can do everything that we possibly can to maybe spray the house with fire retardant and to put something in the house, like, let's say, a fire uh, suppression system. And that's a much more survivable, survivable house than just one built out of you know sticks and wood and and, and windows and, and roof and a wall. So houses today, even low-end consumer-built houses, are built with a concept that we should try to minimize the potential for fire in the first place. You know, we're not going to insulate with newspaper anymore. That was a bad idea. You know, it used to be done way, way back. Talk about something that goes up like a matchstick. So, in our lives, when we're practicing modern survivalism, we should be practicing it from a point of not just what we'll do if there's a disaster, but how do we prevent disaster? Or how do we mitigate disaster? Sometimes we can't prevent it. Could dad dad lose his job? Could mom lose her job? Absolutely. Um, Does that have to mean that in three weeks we're bankrupt and we're ready to lose the house? No. Because it starts with debt elimination. Once we do that, then we start to use the surplus to shore up every other weakness in our life. Instead of denying our weaknesses, instead of denying our vulnerability, instead of following that primitive instinct with no understanding of its true power, we harness it. If you go to the cabinet and you open it up and you look at it and it's not very deep, you know, there's a few cans of food and you think, you know, that's not really smart. Then you take your ass to the store immediately and buy yourself 20 $30 worth of canned goods that you'll eat anyway. Just go do it. I, 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 and if you're not in debt anymore, you already probably have done it, but it's just not a big deal. And you start to realize that preparedness doesn't have to be expensive. And as long as you're not buying crap that you're just going to give away to, to the homeless shelter, right? Now, there's anything wrong with that. We give plenty to homeless shelter. I'd rather give them food than money. Um, but as long as it's not crap you're not going to eat, don't go out and buy a case of spam because somebody told you it lasts forever if your family doesn't like it. You buy things you like, you're going to eat it anyway. And all of a sudden, you start to build up this... And all of a sudden, that vulnerability declines, not because you've buried it, but because you've addressed it. So then you look for your next vulnerability, and maybe you realize that something as simple as you have really cheap locks on your house. So you put in better locks to make your home more secure. And now you feel less vulnerable, and maybe you put in some kind of a security system whether it's a monitored system that tells the police so they can come to me, it's going to be to come clean up the crime scene, right? Not to actually save you. Or it's just a system that, one, lets the intruder know that he's known to be there, and two, lets you know he's there. And then you address that, and then you feel a little bit better about that. And then you sit down and you think to yourself, you know, if something happens while my kids are at school and they have to get home, they're going to be scared, I'm going to be scared, we're not exactly sure we're going to have how to do this. And you sit down with your family and you make a plan... This says if this happens, do step one. If step one fails, do two. If that fails, do three. If that and here it is, it's written down. Here, let's let's set it up as a note, and we'll text it to your phone. That way, it's in your phone, Johnny. You can't forget it. It's in your phone. You don't have a phone, Johnny? Write it in his notebook. Sew it inside his freaking back. I don't care what you do. You know, I was gonna say his backpack, not his back, right? But make sure that everybody has a plan written in some form where they can access it. And then all of a sudden you don't feel so vulnerable about that anymore. So then maybe you, you know, you're staying informed and you look around and you start to realize that a lot of the food we eat is garbage. So you plant a little garden in the backyard. And at least some portion of the food that you're eating you have direct control over. And you've addressed that concern. Now, the things that I'm talking about, if you can't see how these improve the positive aspects of your life, you're just not open-minded. And then I want to know who the paranoid is. Is the paranoid the modern survivalist that looks at all these concerns and takes rational steps to address them and solidifies their life so that they can walk around in confidence, is that the paranoid? Or is the paranoid the person that goes, oh, no one's going to break in my house. (laughs) Right? I'll never run out of food. Oh, the cops will always come if I call them. Who's actually paranoid? Paranoid is not just the misguided belief that somebody wants to hurt you. It can also be the misguided belief that nothing can hurt you, that you're totally safe, that you live in some kind of a bubble. The entire rest of the human race is at risk, but not you and not your family and not anything you care about. You'll be just fine. That bubble that people put around themselves is the greatest uh, piece of paranoia that I know of that exists in the world. I'm mean, kind of looking at... Other things that we do is alternative energy. There's a lot of people out there in the survivalist world that have done things like put in solar, put in wind, and they're nuts. But the the greenie from California that says, you, yeah, man, I want to reduce my carbon footprint and does the same thing. Well he's trying to save the planet. Well, in this case, no matter who's right, they both have the same effect. I'm more concerned about the effect of independence. So the things that I've done so far to provide myself some level of energy reserve, energy backup, provide me that independence when the power goes out. If you go full scale, though, and we put in a photovoltaic system, which we're basically only waiting till we move to do. I just don't see the short-term return uh, that you get with a longer-term return. But if you're going to put something in and use it for five years and sell your house, and you don't think it's going to increase your property value as well as provide you that sense of security in the meantime, I, I just don't know what you're thinking of. Do you think the price of fuel, uh, the price of energy, is going to go down over the next five to ten years? Really? You know, do you think there'll be more oil or less oil in the world in 10 years? Do you think there'll be greater demand for oil or a less demand for oil in 10 years? And everything stems from oil. Even though we generate a lot of power with coal and natural gas, when it comes down to energy, oil controls the world. Because it's the individual energy source. It's what we put in our cars, whether it's diesel Whether it's gas, it doesn't matter. It's what we put in our cars. And because of that, it drives the energy market. And if you have a house with a 6-kilowatt solar array on the roof and a little wind turbine uh, backing it up and a, a uh, a battery reserve... And then that's all tied into the grid where you have power if the grid goes down, you have power if the grid's up, you pay less, and you market that house and your neighbor doesn't have that shit and otherwise you have the same house. Whose house sells for more money and who's paranoid now? Is there any downside? There is the cost. You know, there's the $15,000, $20,000 that would cost to build a system like that. And that's doing some of the work yourself to get it done for that price. But, Do you recoup it when you sell the home? Unless you live in a really crappy home or you really overpaid for it in the first place, yeah. Bigger, though. Much, much bigger. If you're not in debt, you build that system one piece at a time, one component at a time, over time. You expand it and you have knowledge. So you've gained knowledge, independence, and you've increased home values. Now, I I just don't see... The point where I'm the paranoid if I'm taking that approach to my energy needs. And the beauty is I don't have to believe Al Gore to do that. I don't have to try to save baby seals and polar bears, which we can't save both. Can't save both because polar bears eat the seals, right? <laughs> so I don't have to believe in any kind of um, new world religion, which is what I think the global warming nonsense is. I don't have to believe in that. In fact, I would submit to you that increasing the value of your home and increasing your independence uh from the energy suppliers, that those two things together are a great deal more motivating than some nonsensical bull crap like CO two is bad for the planet. Now am I saying there's no pollution? No, 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 no. I'm saying CO two is not the problem. And I don't don't write me about the evidence, because the evidence is bullshit. You read the Global Warming Skeptics Handbook and then we can have a one on one conversation about this. Otherwise I don't even do it anymore. I'm not making the point about global warming. I'm making the point about having energy, alternative energy systems in your home that provide you energy when the grid fails. I don't care why. I don't care if it's peak oil. I don't care if it's an ass clown that was doing 100 miles an hour in a pickup truck hit a pole. Or a lightning bolt or a tornado or a windstorm or an ice. I don't care what caused the power to fail. It doesn't matter. The reality is power fails. If you don't believe that, I walked through Manhattan with the entire island out of power just a few years ago. I said it about eight years ago now, maybe maybe more than that. Wow. But it wasn't that long ago. It was a little bit after 9-11. People were pretty concerned. You know? You know what I did? I found a few people that came out of their shops that were on the street that were selling food and drink for cash. And while everybody panicked and walked across the bridges, I bought something to eat found a place to sit down, and I watched everybody going crazy. And they actually stayed, actually I have to say something about the people in New York City. It was the most organized chaos I've ever seen in my life. There was nobody looting, nobody holding anybody up, nobody causing any problems, everybody just orderly, there were a lot of people who were confused, but everybody seemed to try to help everybody out, and people just kind of migrated out. And uh, it was pretty impressive to see, actually. And then there were a lot of people just hanging out because they lived there, you know. Or they're, you know, they had their car there and they weren't going to be able to get out as long as all these people that relied on subways and trains uh, to get in were, you know, and, and ferries were, were walking out. So they just kind of hung out. And uh, I met a new friend, bought him a beer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's modern survivalism. Modern survivalism is I wasn't going to 100% rely on a, on a bank card. You know, even back then, I used credit cards. Back then, I kind of had to with uh, my job, um, and you know, we're talking about expense reporting and, and things like that. So it's not really my money; it was the cost center's money. But um, I wasn't going to rely on that as my only means to procure things. I always carried cash. That's part of modern survival philosophy. Um, another thing that we're really known for in the survival industry, and something I don't think about a lot because I think we're overdone for this, but is gun ownership. Gun ownership to me is, first of all, it's a fundamental right as an American citizen. As far as I know, you guys tell me if I've missed this. As far as I know, the United States of America is the only nation, not where you can own a gun, but where your right to own a gun is actually part of the foundational law of the nation. And that right is seen as inherent to you simply because you're human and you have that right as a citizen, and it's not the government has allowed you to have it, the government has accepted in its own limitations in the foundation of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that they have no right to restrict it. It's the only nation I know of like that. Now, when we were in school, I I remember being told this. You guys tell me if you remember this. You have to vote when you're old enough to vote. If you don't, You know what will happen? You could lose the right to vote. That's why it's important to vote. So what I heard as a child was, if you have a right and you don't exercise it, you risk losing it. So fundamentally, I look at the Second Amendment the exact same damn way. The more Americans that exercise their right to legally and responsibly own a firearm, the less likely we are to ever have that right stripped from our Constitution. So, first and foremost, I don't even see this as a survival topic. I see this as a fundamental reality of America. For those of you that go, you don't need a gun. You don't need a gun. Do you, do you have a car? You don't need a freaking car. So should I be able to come take it away from you? You don't need a gun. Well, you know what? You don't need a diamond ring, honey. Should I be able to take your diamond ring away from you? Should I be able to ban diamonds? My, 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 my diamond doesn't hurt anybody. How many people die in car accidents? Maybe we should just outlaw cars. More people die in car accidents than, than gun incidents. So I think the pe- most people carrying a gun are more responsible with their gun than people with a car. You have to have a license to have a car. You have have a license to have a gun. I'm sorry. There's no right in the Constitution to own a car. In fact, you don't have to have a license to own a car. You don't even have to have a license to drive a car. You only have to li- have a license to drive a car on public roads. And again... There's no inherent right to own and drive a car. Cars did not exist when the Constitution was formed. Guns did. Guns did. They might have been in a different form, but citizens at the time under the Second Amendment were protected from owning the exact same guns that were used by the military. So I see this as protecting rights in the, in the, in of itself. I also I'm going to tell you this, and I don't want any. I have a lot of law enforcement officers listening to this show. You guys know this is true. In most instances, if I'm being attacked in any way, shape, or form in my home, and I call you, you're coming to take a report about a crime scene, not to prevent the crime, not because you don't want to, but because we have not yet effectively developed matter-energy transport to where Scotty can freaking beam you to my violent encounter. And that's that's just a harsh reality. And if you are one cop and you have two violent encounters occurring at the same time, you have to prioritize and pick, and that means somebody else is uncovered until another officer becomes free. And again, he has space and time limitations in a car to get there, or a motorcycle, or a bicycle, or on foot. can't just be there. I don't care if you have a great response time in your law enforcement community, and it's minutes. It takes seconds for you to die. It takes seconds for a woman to be raped. It takes seconds for your children to be raped. It takes seconds for your children to be taken from you. If you doubt that, turn on America's Most Wanted and listen to the parents who tell you what it was like when it happened to them. And then tell me, I don't need a gun. I might not need one, but I have a right to one. And if you come take something away from me that I value, that I cherish and love, it'll be a good day for me and a bad day for you because I own a gun. And because of that, my attitude is not, I'm better than everybody, but I'm a hell of a lot more confident than most people. I don't live in that bubble where nothing can happen to me. Uh, Somebody just sent me a recent uh, email with a bunch of great quotes in it about gun ownership and the best one in it, the one that I'll remember forever said, I don't carry a gun because I feel inadequate. I carry a gun because I am one man, and if I'm facing three armed thugs, I am inadequate. <laughs> I'm not inadequate if I'm armed and trained. So gun ownership to me, whether you're and there's plenty of people that have concealed carry permits, that own guns in their home, that feel that they have a need to defend, they feel everything I just said to you, and they don't consider themselves survivalists or preppers. They, they have two cans of food in their pantry. Uh, they're deeply in debt. So it's not inherently a survival topic. But I think it has a lot to do with survival mentality. And just like the guy said that didn't want to admit reality, the Frenchman, he wasn't really a first American living in France. I guess he likes it there. Um, what will you do if your neighbors come try to take what you have? Point your shotgun at them? And he said that like it was a bad thing. At least he acknowledged the fact that people might come try to take what you have. There's no sense in being prepared if you're not prepared to defend what you have. That doesn't mean you won't help others. It doesn't mean you won't share. But it means you'll control who and how you will share with. Because otherwise you don't share, you're stripped and you're stripped bare. And that's another fundamental reality that people that live in the bubble don't want to face. Another thing we talk about is owning silver and gold. Now, here's how I put this to anybody that says, you know, like, oh, you guys, your gold and your silver and your Federal Reserve conspiracy theories, and my response is simple. Every rich guy I know owns some silver and gold, every single one. So why not me and why not you? Is gold just for rich people? Or do rich people tend to do smart things with their money? And if a rich guy says five, ten percent of my money is going to be in, in precious metals, and the average American that just throws money in their 401k today saves up two, three, four hundred thousand dollars relatively quickly. Actually, as long as we don't have a big market slide at the wrong time for that guy, Americans today typically that are in their 40s have two to five hundred thousand dollars in retirement savings. That's the, I guess the the one upside to to the the scam of of the mutual fund world. Now, what's wrong with that person putting twenty thousand dollars into precious metals in some shape or form? You know, or ten, or five for God's sakes. Why should something like this be practiced by every wealthy person in the world and be ignored by the masses unless the masses are in a bubble? And we've seen over and over again what happens when a country's economy begins to collapse. Where does the society run to? Gold. Now my question to you is, in the event of something like that, do you want to be running with the crowd, or do you want to be sitting where the crowd is running to and already have been there and left? I'd rather be well ahead of the crowd, and that's what having a little bit of your wealth in gold and silver is all about. 5%? I don't care. I don't care what it is you're comfortable with, have something. Because if you don't believe a currency collapses, can can collapse. You haven't paid attention to history. And when you sit around and say, well, not the American dollar, that's that's arrogance. And what if the currency never collapses? One thing we know will happen is inflation. And over time, gold and silver hedge against inflation quite well. 1964, a quarter was made out of pure silver. Well, 90% silver. And in 1964, I could buy a gallon of gas for roughly a quarter. Right now, if I have a 1964 silver quarter, and I sell it for its melt value of silver, I can buy a gallon of gas. The one thing we always say goes up in prices are fuel prices. Now, if a quarter can hedge against that because it's made of silver... Don't you think we can hedge against everything else by putting a little bit of our wealth there? Survivalist or not. Again, every rich guy I know owns some silver and gold. Every single one. And I would say this to you. Find me a rich person. And by rich, I'll say anybody with a net worth in assets, not home, in true assets... You know, not his house is on his balance sheet, but it's true if he had liquid net worth of over one million dollars. Please find me one person with a liquid net worth of over one million dollars who owns zero gold and zero silver that didn't win the lottery yesterday. Because they're going to be poor in a couple days anyway, a couple years anyway. But anybody that actually got there through work and has advisors, and show me one that owns zero gold and zero silver. And then I'll just ask you, then why should you own zero gold and zero silver? Gardening. We're talking about gardening all the time. It's a huge survival topic because people realize that if there's ever a dip in the food supply, that the garden has some level of food production for them. they also realize that a garden will produce a surplus and allow you to build out your pantry and build out your food storage without so much of an outlay of costs. That way we can keep working on the debt reduction, saving money, and having money to do all these other things. Because if I can produce 20 quarts of uh, green beans out of my garden, that's 20 quarts of green beans I don't have to buy that I can can or dehydrate or what have you and put into my food storage rotation. And I've got better food. But there's so much more than that. When you have a beautiful garden, I mean a well-done, beautiful garden, and that's not really a survival garden. We'll we'll talk about you know guerrilla gardening and survival gardening again like we've done in the past. But for your house in suburbia, you have that pretty garden. And you decide one day, we want to move somewhere else. And you put a for sale sign up in the yard. And people come look at your house. Just like that solar array on the roof would add value to the home, that beautifully uh, manicured garden adds value to your home. People like gardens. Even people that say they don't. You know what they don't like? They don't like the work. When you have a garden sitting there, somebody else has really done the work for you. All you got to do is water it and plant stuff. You know, you don't have to do all the soil tilling and everything. And there's always going to, you know, when you go to sell a house, there's always going to be things like, well, some people don't like a garden. I had a real estate agent back when we sold our first home out of Arlington. And she said, well, you have a pool. That pool actually takes away value from the home. I said, excuse me? She goes, well, it's an above-ground pool. Those are cheap. I said, and you think that there's no one out there that actually thinks this increases the value of the home? No. I said, then why do people buy them? And by the way, get out of my house. I'll get a new agent. We never signed with her. We got somebody else, and he sold the house in like... It was like 48 hours from the time he listed it till it was sold at the asking price. And the people said, we love the pool. So there will always be people that will look at a, a component of a home and say, well, I don't want a garden. Well, then you go buy a different house. I promise you, there's plenty of people that do. There's plenty of people that are looking for a house so they can have a garden. And having a lot of the work done, huge added incentive to sell a house. So there's a lot that comes from a garden beyond just producing food in a shortage. So much more than that. I believe that there's two facets to the health of a human being. There's the physical health and the mental health. And those are not easily bifurcated the way modern medicine would tell you. Physical health is, if you ha- I don't care how positive your attitude is, If you have a great big blockage in your your arteries, you can have a heart attack and die, no matter how positive you are. That's a a pure separation. If you are a schizophrenic and you have multiple personalities and voices in your head, you can get into dangerous situations for yourself, even if if, if a doctor would check out the rest of you and say, this guy's in perfect physical condition. So there is a point where they separate, but in most instances, there's an overlap. Why are your arteries clogged? How much physical activity do you get? Why do you eat the way you do? Why? Well, generally, there's some type of psychological component to that type of behavior. A feeling of inadequacy, a feeling of depression. A lot of times when people are depressed, they eat and they feel better temporarily. It's just like any other drug. We put sugar, carbohydrates, and high fat combined into the, uh, into the bloodstream together, so we get the sugar for the instant boost. We get the fat that makes us crave eating more sugar. When there fat's fine by itself, if you put it with sugar, it becomes extremely addictive. And we include carbohydrates that have to be converted to sugar that extends the sugar high. And eventually, we completely collapse and crash on the other side of it. And we do it again. When you have a garden, people say, "Why don't you talk more about physical fitness?" So if you do all the crap I say to do, you'll be plenty of physical fit. You get out there in that garden and work every day, and it improves your physical health because you become active doing something. And it also, to me, improves your mental health, and the two start to feed each other. The minute you go out there and you take those cucumber vines that you thought weren't producing yet and pull it back, and there's a great big cucumber there, that you didn't even really, you didn't see it yesterday. You never saw it when it was small, it's just there now. That, that that realization that there's now something there that's, that you created that will sustain you has a huge mental boost to it. And that's why I put so much effort into gardening on this show. That's why some people say, you're going to turn it to Jack's Green Thumb instead of the Survival Podcast. You know, the, the the ability to grow our own food does so many things for us to help us survive. But improving our mental state is probably the best one. If every American would grow a small garden and learn about gardening, not just throw it out there and let it be what it is. Learn. Be part of the process. Put their hands into the soil. See the garden through its four seasons, not just summer. You know, plant cover crops like we talked about yesterday, mulch, compost, smell the earth. We would put the psycholo- the psychology industry almost out of business. There'd be so many people who would get their asses off their psychologist's couch and out in their backyard, it would be unbelievable. The mental health alone of a garden is worth doing it. When we add the physical benefits of activity and better quality food, resale value to your home, it's a lot more than just survivalism now, isn't it? Where's the downside? I actually have to say an, of another thing. We try to stay informed in our community. We pay attention to what our government's doing, what corporations are doing, what threats are, are out there. And some people say you guys are like on information overload. You're too worried. You're too paranoid. I say this. Only the ignorant would say being informed is a bad idea. You know, if, um, if I'm in a house and there's ten guys outside with lit Molotov cocktails about to throw it at the house, I'd like to know. So that maybe I can go out the other side of the house before they come. Right, I'd like to know that the threat is there, even though the swine flu was in this guy's other, this other guy's words bullshit. And I told you the same thing. By the way, listen to my show, the non-event of swine flu, the lessons from it. Um, even though that's the case, I'm glad I knew it was going on, and I'm glad I stayed informed, so I realized it. See, and here's what happens: the people that say that they were on information overload, that were too informed, they're the ones that are they're. They're selectively informed. They were the ones that three weeks into it, when you and I had figured it out, you and I, in three weeks, we went from, what is this? Oh, this could be bad. I don't think it's that bad. This is bullshit. Three weeks was probably two. But by three, we knew. By three, I was on the air telling you, don't even worry about this. Worry about other things. This is crap. The person that says that you think too much, that you are too informed, that you're too worried about what's going on, three weeks into it, they were in complete panic. They were trying to buy dust masks from, from, from uh, Home Depot and, and, uh, and flu masks from Rx Pharmacy. Four weeks into it, they were the public officials that were canceling major events that cost Millions of dollars to small business people all over the United States in the middle of one of the worst economic recessions we've ever seen. Those are the people that say we were too informed. Six weeks into it, they were the ones telling you about some kid that died in Mexico again. When people die in Mexico of freaking diarrhea. The people that say you were too informed were the ones that did panic during this thing. And people like us, as long as we didn't listen to Alex Jones telling us we were all going to die, that it was all a plan to give us a toxic vaccine, as long as we didn't listen to that nonsensical bullshit, which, where, did anybody, you know, now that we're here, let's just ask the question, because I say this all the time with the tinfoil hat crowd. Did they come to your door? Did they quarantine? All the shit that we were told by the freaks was going to happen, it didn't happen. You know what they'll say? Oh, it was a drill. It was a practice run to see what it would happen. They were going to do it and then something did. Bullshit. It was all going to happen. It was all planned. There was conspiracy this and conspiracy, and it didn't happen. Right? And that's what gives us a bad name is nonsense like that. So let's be honest about it. You know what happened? Nothing. The government demonstrated how inept it was and how incompetent it was. The media demonstrated how inept and incompetent they were. The World World Health Organization demonstrated their ineptness and their incompetence. And the public uh, demonstrated its complete level of ignorance to reality. That's what came out of the swine flu event. And that should tell you, you better damn well be prepared. Because in a real event... All of those things would have actually really mattered. That's why survivalists aren't paranoid. And that's why only the ignorant would say being informed is a bad idea. Because we stay informed, there's been many things that have happened that have had people ready to freak out. And what have we done here at the Survival Podcast? Not just me, you guys helping me by sending me the information, by posting it on the forum, by commenting in the blog. We've all said, it's okay. Even when we see things that look pretty bad, okay, it's okay, but here's a strategy around it. That's sane rationalism. That's why we're not stupid, even if the world doesn't end. You know? And I have to just say, as I sum up this today, to anybody that's a disbeliever in being prepared, anybody that's in that bubble, that has their head in the sand, that says, I don't want you to do it. You know, you guys are crazy. You guys are nuts. You guys, you know, whatever... Uh, resistance is given, whatever excuse is given, whatever stigma is applied to us, help me out, any of those people. Share this with your friend. Ask them this question. Ask them to listen to this show and give me the answer to one question. What's the downside of the way I live? What do I not have that you do? The way I live has enabled me At the age of 38, to do this show is my primary business. I am living my passion helping people. I have no debt. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful family. I have beautiful dogs. I have a beautiful garden. I have a second home. The only thing I owe any money on is a mortgage. The day we leave this house, that mortgage is gone. There won't be one anymore. When I'm 50 years old, I'll have a house that's been paid for for 10 years. What's my downside? When I'm 50 years old, I'll be generating all of my electricity for myself. I'll leave this home behind to my heirs. When I'm 50, I'll still be living instead of working. And I think any American that wants to could do the same thing. Now, will you be podcasting? Probably not. There's a few of you that will. Will you be podcasting on survivalism? I hope not, unless it's really your passion. Find your passion and do that if you want to be a podcaster. All I'm saying is that living this way is the most empowering thing that I've ever found. And if society collapses around me, I'll be better off than the average person. And if it doesn't, I would submit to you that right now I and many members of this audience, thousands of members of this audience, without a collapse, are better off than the average person in every measurable way, psychologically, physically, economically, and from a standpoint of safety. In those four aspects the average person that listens to and practices the methodologies that we talk about not just in this show but in the entire modern survival community on the web and doesn't you know participate in hysteria and nonsense is better off than all of us so what is the downside what do i not have that you do a mortgage <laughs> you know actually we both have a mortgage for now you know A car payment, student loan debt, a house that's bigger than I need, that I can't afford to pay for, a requirement that I go to work every single day, fear of being fired. What do you have that's so valuable that you want us in this community to have too? Is it really so bad? And anybody out there that's thinking, well, Jack, this is good for you, and I'm with you on all this, but I haven't gotten there yet, you will. You will. Keep doing it. Keep living this way. Eventually, you'll find your path. And I say this over and over again. I'm not one of these people to get up here and say, this is a ten-step plan, and you do this and this and this and this, and follow me and you'll be where I am. That's bullshit. And anybody that tells you that in anything, survivalism, motivational speaking, business, um, mentorship, I don't care what it is. Anybody that tells you, if you just do things exactly the way I do, everything will work out for you, is absolutely 100% full of shit, and worse, they know they're full of shit. They're liars. All I can tell you is the basic methodology, the mile-high view, the principles and the way that I practice the principles. You take those principles and you adapt them to your life and you practice them in your way. You may get there at a shorter shorter uh, sprint than I did, or you may have to run a longer marathon, but it will be your way under your control as you see fit. That will work for you. Nothing else will work for anybody that listens to this show or anything else or anyone else other than your plan for you and walking your path in life based on what you want. That's modern survivalism. Your life, your way, whether times are good or bad, you maintain control and you maintain the choice. What is the downside? I'm waiting for someone to send me one. I've been doing this show for over two years now, and I haven't heard one that holds an ounce of water in it. Not one. You can call me paranoid if you want to, But you know what? I'm not the one that hides who I am. Anybody that wants to know where I am can find me. I don't use a fake name. right? I tell you every day, from Arlington, Texas. You have my name in the city I live in. You can find me. You can find my phone number. I give you my email address. I have a website. My picture's on it. I do videos on YouTube. How paranoid could I possibly be? I even did a video one time where our truck was broke down. And we were waiting on AAA and said, hey, this is a practical thing that you can do that's you know, not what we normally would think of as survival. This is preparedness. A cell phone and a AAA card. And somebody, a couple of people were like, you should hide your license plate number. Why? Don't you think 80,000 people a day saw it when we drove down the highway? This isn't about paranoia. This is about empowerment. This is about knowing why you're making choices versus making choices based on how you feel. That's it. And you know what that is? You know what survivalism really is? Being a freaking grown-up. It's what it's really all about. If you think these things don't make any sense, you're still a child. And I'm sorry to put it that way, but you are. And that's why your grandparents and your great-grandparents did 90% of this shit without anybody telling them, without anybody calling it anything, because they were mature. They were mature, and they were realists. They understood that it was stupid to think that you would always be able to go to the store. They understood that was just nonsensical thinking, and that's why they made sure they always had a little bit extra. Your grandparents and your great-grandparents were grown-ups. In this community, we're grown-ups as well. Even our children are more grown-up than the average person. And I, I don't think that's arrogant to say that. I think it's the truth. Because the person that walks through life and thinks everything will just be okay is an immature individual. I don't try to say that so much in a derogatory way. When I say they're ignorant, I don't say that in a derogatory way either. They are. Society has created that person as the average person. They really have. It's a cocoon that's been placed around people by a media, a government, and a corporate structure that wants you dependent and dumbed down. Why do you think the America place is so low in educational standings? Do you think we just can't do it? Our people aren't that smart. Our teachers aren't that good. We don't spend enough money. That's all bullshit. We're getting exactly what we've ordered. People that don't question anything. The teacher's always right. Because if the teacher's always right, what happens is that teacher becomes a stand-in during the developmental phase of a child. And by the time a student leaves school, believing a teacher's always right, well then, the boss is always right, the TV's always right, the TV reporter's always right, and the government's always right. At least one half of the government is always right. One half of the, the bosses are always right. And that's what we get. We get students that come out and they polarize to the left or the right and they never question anything on one side and they doubt everything on the other side and then they walk through life and we get exactly what's been ordered. A farm of people. You know, the movie The Matrix wasn't that far off where human beings had been reduced to being nothing but a battery of power of a machine. Like it or not, that's what the average person is now. That's what that movie was really all about. It was sci-fi, but it was symbolic as well. Human beings are nothing now to the powers that be other than a source of energy. We just measure energy instead of in volts, in dollars. Modern survivalists live in a world where we're aware of that and we choose not to participate in it. We expend our energy for our own good rather than the good of some entity that we're told to be patriotic to. It doesn't mean we're not patriots. It doesn't mean we don't love our fellow man. It's that we understand that if we don't take care of ourselves and we don't survive, we won't be here to take care of the ones that we love and care about the most. Dads, when you say I'll lay down my life for my children, I know what you mean and I understand it. But you better survive for your children because if you lay your life down willingly, who's going to protect them on the next day? You need to be there. We need to take care of ourselves. That's what modern survivalism is really all about. Being a mature, informed adult that makes the right decisions for your family and more importantly the right decisions aren't what I say or anybody else says they are they're the decisions that you make in a fully informed manner I believe that if you become fully informed you won't find any other option other than to practice some basic preparedness because as long as you're informed and you don't deny the risks and the vulnerabilities that innate component in you that says that that instinct must be followed instead of being followed by burying your head from it you'll respond to it. Do that, and you'll start taking the steps in the right direction towards solidifying your life and living that better life. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Let me show you a better way of up there cares.